greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It's a blessing to be here and invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for a message. First Corinthians chapter 3, I'd like to read verses 11 through 15. First Corinthians 3, verse 11 down to verse 15. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. I'd like to start this morning with kind of on a sober note. December 5th of last year, my good friend Ed Hilty died here in this congregation. February 4th, my dad died. March 28th, my Uncle Ernest died. April the 2nd, if I have my dates correct, Grandma Ava died, Ava Zook. April the 5th, my good friend Irvin Swarry died. In our congregation at home, a little baby was born, his name was Sammy Brown, and he died a couple hours after birth. And of course, last April, uh, Cameron died at 23 years old. Death has come before to this congregation, but this past spring was unusual. In thinking about the end of life and, and those kind of difficult things. In addition to those seven deaths that I mentioned, there's been a few mis miscarriages in our congregation, and some of those most people didn't even know about. And so that brings sorrow too. That, that's, the loss is real. How do you feel about all that, especially those of you that uh, were involved with families and so on, with dealing with death? May God bless each of you as you continue to feel the loss and the grief that comes with that. According to statistics, if you can believe statistics anyway, uh, around the world two people die every second. Can you imagine that? Every second, two people are taken into eternity. In that same second, four people are born. So that's another staggering thing to think about. Two people come into this life that will live for eternity. So that, I think, should stir our hearts to what we're here for. Uh, the Great Commission being one, a big part of, of why we're here, to reach to, to those around us with the gospel. It's a sobering thought to know that these are people who will live forever. You know, these, these different deaths have really made me stop and think and ponder. I think God designed it that way to remind us of how fragile life is and the importance of being ready for eternity and so on. Relationships, how important those, that, that's a precious thing, those kind of relationships. We only have one chance at life. 
and life is fragile. And eternity stretches out long in front of us. And so we ask the question, what is life all about? What is my purpose in life? What should be my priorities? And in my busyness, am I really accomplishing what God has placed me here to do? You've probably seen them. I have too. Stumble across them in the woods somewhere maybe or along the edge of a field. Uh, uh, the foundation of an old house, maybe a chimney. Nothing there but the foundation anymore. And part of a chimney. And you wonder, who, who put this together? Who lived here? What was their purpose in life? What did they hope to accomplish? But somebody built that house. Somebody lived there. Somebody hauled those stones. Somebody ate there. Somebody cooked there. Somebody slept there. But eventually everyone went away. And the roof started to leak. And eventually caved in. And now there's nothing but a few stones. All that work, all that living, forgotten. And we don't even know who was there. And time slowly erases what was once a busy and maybe noisy place. It's a lot of activity. Now think about my life and what will, will my life have made any difference in this world? Is if the world's still here in a hundred years, will somebody see my tombstone and scrub away the, the, the cobwebs and the leaves and the dirt and say, hmm, I wonder who he was. I wonder what he did in life. And I guess I've pondered this question. I've kind of come to the conclusion it's not so important that we go down in history as somebody to be, to be remembered. You know, I think about those big tombs out in the cemeteries. Would that help us to remember those gone? And probably not. It has more to do with relationships and good memories and so on. The several family cemeteries close to our home on Thunderstruck Road in Floyd County. Little small family cemeteries, some of them over 100 years old. Nobody knows who these people were. You know, the land was bought and sold and bought and sold and, and um, nobody knows. So the important question is, Am I fulfilling the calling God has placed me here to carry out? That's the important thing. The next generation may forget my contribution, your contribution to this world, but God will not forget. Your work, our work in His kingdom will not be forgotten. So, what is the most important thing in life? And we know what the right answer is to that question. And it is important to have the right answer in our minds, but really the, our answer is the way that we live. That really tells us what we believe and, and what we know that answer to be. The other week, I was at Wills Ridge Supply. That's a, a local lumber supply store, okay, hardware and that kind of thing. I was there and I met an older man, never met him before, haven't seen him since. He's one of those men that just like to talk to people. So he talked to me and he greeted me and he asked me, are you working hard? You know, when you go to a hardware store, most people go there because they have a project of some kind, right? So that's why I was there. So he asked me this question, are you working hard? And I said, yes, I was planning on working hard today. 
And he asked me an interesting question. He said, why? And I pondered that. I don't know how you would have answered that. I think he was probably trying to make a joke out of avoiding hard work or something like that. It's probably what he had in mind. But his question kind of jolted in me because I was thinking about this message and these recent deaths and so on. And um, so finally I told the man, well, I guess I'm working hard because that's what I'm designed to do. And he wasn't sure how to cope with that answer. Wasn't what he was expecting. But I just asked us all that question this morning. Whatever you're doing in life, not only are you, the question would be, are you working hard, but why? That's the question. And that's really a pretty big question as you think about it. Do I work hard so I can retire in life? Do I work hard to have a big pile of stuff? There's lots of reasons that we could work hard. But why is it that I do that? And, you know, we, we've had many reminders of the shortness of life and the, the we're only on earth for a short, short length of time to accomplish whatever we're here to do. You know, really, none of us can really decide whether we're going to live or die. But we will decide what do we live for and die for what our purpose is. Verse 13, notice what I read. For every man's work shall be made manifest. In other words, every man's work will be shown what it really consists of. I was really impressed with that. Did you catch that? Someday there will be no pretending, no nice looking fronts, the intents of my heart, my first loves, my purpose in life, all of that will be exposed for what it really is before an almighty God. Actually, it already is. God knows all those things. We know that we can't serve two masters. We cannot belong to opposing kingdoms. So we have to choose which kingdom I will belong to, which king I will serve. I've chosen to think about this topic in a maybe a, an odd way. But um, as you think of serving and spending your life for a purpose, there is a reward that goes along with, with that. And I brought a trophy this morning. I don't know if you've ever seen a trophy on this pulpit or not before, but there is one. That's a trophy. That's a reward for a job well done. Okay. Someone has said wisely, if you chase two rabbits, both will escape. I think there's some wisdom to that. The, the point being that you've got to choose what you're going to focus on and pursue what's important. Otherwise, you will miss it. So I've got a trophy here this morning. And no, this is not one of my trophies I got out of high school. I did not win any spelling bees. Some of you know that. This, I think, is a trophy from a, as a teenage girl. She obviously was on a soccer team, and it says, First Place Classic, Spring 2006. I suppose just 
uh, the local high school, I suppose. I'm not sure. You probably can't tell it from there, but on top, from where you're at, but up top here is a girl, gold-plated, and she's playing soccer. Okay? Whoever this girl was, which I have no idea who she was, she probably was a good athlete. She probably was a good team player. Um, she probably was a part of winning some soccer games because she earned a trophy. Now, I'm not being critical of someone's trophy and someone's hard work. Uh, don't misunderstand me. But looks nice. But do you know where I found this trophy? At the dumpster. Found it at the dumpster. And along with this particular trophy, there was a box full of them. Other trophies and plaques. This girl was on the track team, the basketball team, and so on. Evidently had done quite well. But her trophies were at the dumpster. Why? Well, I don't know why they were at the dumpster. But whoever this person was, she's no longer a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl. Now it's 11 years later from this trophy uh, that was awarded at least. Probably this girl's in her middle 20s. Probably with a whole new set of priorities and interests. Maybe she no longer plays, probably doesn't play soccer and basketball and, and so on anymore. And I'm just imagining, of course, but I suppose one day either her or her mother was cleaning out a closet. And say, what do we do with these? And somehow, it just doesn't matter anymore. Maybe it brings back some fond memories and so on, but somehow it's just not nearly so important as it was at one time. This thing's made of plastic. Uh, I think you can buy a brand new one for between five and ten dollars, from what I could find. The brief look uh, I researched probably cost a dollar or two to make at the factory, wherever it was made. It glitters like gold, but it's not. We all know that it's made of plastic, cheap plastic at that. And I suppose that whoever this trophy belonged to decided that this is a dust collector that's no longer worth keeping. So the things in life that are much more important. And I, I just bring this not to be critical of a young girl's efforts in her high school. But I bring this here just to remind us of that we take a serious look at what our trophies are in life and what our purposes are and what is important to us. Especially in light of eternity. What about my life? Why do I work so hard? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my goal? What am I striving for? These are serious questions. Will I someday look back to this moment where I'm at in life right now and remember what I'm passionate about right now and shake my head in amazement that I could devote so much time and energy and focus to something of so little importance? That can happen to us. If you'll turn in your Bibles a few pages to the right to uh, chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'd like to begin reading at verse 24 and read to the end of the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. 
Know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a, a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Especially noticing verse 25, where it talks about a crown. Evidently, this crown, if I understand right, would, would be our, our equivalent to this crown would be a trophy. This crown was probably a, a wreath that was worn on the head. That was a Roman and Greek custom. And that wreath of leaves soon faded, even quicker than this cheap trophy will. So Paul's writing about a corruptible crown. That is possible to, to pursue. He also mentions an incorruptible, which doesn't fade away. And that's really what I'm talking about this morning. What kind of trophy do, do we want? What are we after? The Bible talks about crowns in several different places in, 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 uh, in Paul's writings. First Thessalonians talks about a crown of rejoicing. He wrote to Timothy about a crown of righteousness. Peter talks about a crown of glory for serving. James talks about a crown of life. And Revelation says, don't let anyone take your crown. And we know what kind of crown he's talking about. So in God's kingdom, there is crowns. There are trophies. There's things worth striving for. There is. The world, as I mentioned, also has trophies. 1 Timothy 5 verse 6 says, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And that's an example of someone who is pursuing something, living for the present at the expense of the future. Evidently that woman, whoever that she was, that Paul's writing about, wanted one of these. With that thought of the future. And Paul is, is hinting that she is going to find this cheap plastic trophy that she's after to be empty and unsatisfying like sin always is. When you and I get to the spot in the path of our path where we cross over from this life into eternity and all of us are going to get there unless the Lord returns. Which one would I rather have a shell full of cheap plastic earthly trophies or real trophies in heaven. We need to be thinking about that. Let me tell you about Peter Stump. He's a man in our community. The local hermit, he wouldn't look at you when you drove past his house and if he's walking his dog along the road. He wouldn't look at you, wasn't interested in people. His grass was this high in his front yard few people that went to see him said in his house is just paths with stuff piled high. Just an odd, strange man. Well, he got cancer, and he got pretty bad off. And one of our men in our congregation stopped by to see him, prayed with him, 
And this man began to change. He knew he was at the end of his life. And he began to come to church. And he began to hunger for God's word. It's never done that before. He began to enjoy fellowship and to, to be hungry for people. Something he had never done either. And about um, a week before he passed away, what, two weeks ago? Something like that, week and a half. And about a week before that, he gave his heart to the Lord. He became a Christian. Just made it in. Peter Stump had no interest in, in these, okay? And you won't either when you get there. He was thinking about things that matter. God's word, what does God want of me? He didn't know how long he had to live, but he knew it wasn't long. What does God want of me? How, how can I know him? Priorities, priorities. Jesus had right priorities. We won't take time to look at them. But we know about Jesus' priorities. That relationship with his father was a priority for him. Prayer was a priority for Jesus. The night before he chose his disciples, Jesus spent all night in prayer. It was a priority for him. Reaching people was an obvious priority for Jesus. Why else, why else would Jesus stop to look up a tree to talk to a little man that nobody else liked? Why else would Jesus take time to minister to children? Why else would Jesus touch lepers and the blind? Something that you didn't do in their culture. Why else would Jesus heal the demon possessed and the crippled and, and care about a wild crazy man living in the tomb? Why else was Jesus compassionate with the woman taking adultery or the woman at the well, the woman with the issue of blood that touched the hem of his garment? Why else was Jesus compassionate with the woman that washed his feet with her tears? Why else was he compassionate with the repentant thief on the cross? It's because people were a priority to him. It mattered. He seen them as a soul. Why else would Jesus care for you and I, even today, imperfect as we are? I think it would do me good to, to consider the priorities of Jesus and apply those priorities to my life so that they become my priorities. I think about the story of Martha and Mary and what Martha was doing in the serving in the kitchen was beautiful, was commendable, it was needed. But what Mary did at the feet of Jesus was a much better thing. Turn with me to the book of Haggai. That's an odd place to turn, I suppose. A little hard to find. We don't turn there very often, but to help us find it, it's close to the end of the, of the Old Testament third book from the end of the Old Testament. I just want to read a few verses here. Before I do, let me give you a word picture about priorities. Think about it this way. Let's say that each day of our lives, we exchange a day of our lives for something. Okay, our lives are an exchange. Live a day, we exchange time for something. You ever think about that? God in His sovereignty has seen fit to give every person alive the gift of time. 
And this gift of time is dispensed to us every day. Let's say it's given to us in a coin. Okay, each day you have a new coin. And you need, you will spend that coin today. And you can only spend it today. You can't save it for some other time. You have this gift in your hand and it's up to you how you're going to spend it. One coin per day. And you have a collection of coins. You know, no one knows how full that is. And when that coin is gone for today, it's, it's gone. Someday the coins will run out. We don't know when that will be. But each day God faithfully gives us a coin. And each day we take that gift and we exchange it for something. We can waste it. We can buy things. uh, Spend that time on things that really won't matter, won't last. Really not that important like this uh, plastic trophy that I'm putting on display here. Or we can invest it in the kingdom of God. And a trophy and a crown in heaven. If we're wise, we're going to spend our gift for today on things that matter, right? You know, we look around us today, there's many, many, many people throwing their coins away for things that won't matter and things that, in fact, will do them harm. And those plastic trophies, whatever they may be, quickly turn into idols that we worship. We see idols around us all the time in our world. It makes me almost feel like Paul did on there at Mars Hill. But, you know, you and I can set up a worthless plastic trophy as an idol as well. God gives me a coin of time to spend today. What will I invest it in? Haggai. Uh, there's a lot I could read here. I'll just read verses 2 through 11. Read it quickly here. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. This is the situation, okay? The Jews are in Jerusalem. They come back from Babylon. And one of the things they were to do was to build the house of God. Well, it didn't happen. They started it and then it was put on hold for a while. Fourteen years or something like that. Um, They were discouraged. They They had opposition. And Haggai comes and confronts them with their lack of working in the Lord's work. That's what the book of Haggai is at least partially about. Verse 3, Then came the word of the Lord to Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lies waste, talking about the house of the Lord. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little, but ye eat, but have not enough. Ye drink, but you are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. He that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar? Yes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up into the mountain and bring wood and bring, build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You look for much and lo, it came too little and when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste and ye run every man to his own house. <clears throat> Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew and the earth is stayed from her fruit. 
And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains and upon the corn, upon the new wine and upon the oil and upon that which the ground bringeth forth and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. We could read on. I think you get the gist of what he's saying there. You can read more about this situation in in the book of Ezra, chapter 5. So, these Jews had come from Babylon. They made that dangerous journey back. And here they are in a land some of them probably hadn't even been there before. Didn't remember, have any memories of it. And they're in a land that was devastated by war. So here they are there to rebuild. And they had some opposition. They got started, but they had some opposition. And so the work of the Lord was put on hold. And so they're farming. They're probably building houses. They're raising families. They're earning a living. Just kind of going back to life. They're surviving. Just going about daily life. And that sounds pretty familiar to us, I believe. And God's work was not being done in this situation. And God raised up this prophet Haggai to proclaim the message to the Jews. I doubt they were lazy. I doubt it. But rather their energy and their focus was on something that wasn't wicked. It wasn't awful. It wasn't uh, bad things. But their priorities evidently weren't where it should have been. I think Haggai is saying, give God supreme place in your life. Or like Jesus said, put you first, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, Matthew 6.33. It's a question of priorities, what matters. So let's make it practical for us. We know that the kingdom of God should be first in our lives. Yet we're all tempted, we're all tempted to put something else first. And to be really blunt, you and I are tempted with all kinds of idols. They're out there. They're very available to be involved with. We all have something that's first in my life. And the question we all need to answer, what is that first thing? You know, when I really don't think a lot about my priorities, I tend... If you're like me, we tend to naturally live for my agenda. That's what's in front of us. That's what's demanding of us. I don't mean to be selfish, I don't think, but that's my natural tendency. I usually don't intentionally drift toward a self-serving way of life. And we know that the world doesn't bring satisfaction. And yet in our human tendency is to drift toward idols of this world, drift toward loving this world. My challenge to myself and to all of us is to to be alert, to be awake, to be aware, because it's very, very easy to drift toward loving the things of the world without even realizing it or meaning to. And we begin to collect plastic trophies that will become idols if we leave them on our shelf as something we admire. So brothers, sisters, the words of Haggai challenge me. I tend to focus on my own prosperity and comfort above God's work. Are you like me? I notice four things about 
these Jews who are putting their own prosperity and comfort above the Lord's work here in Haggai chapter 1. First of all, these people were not wicked people. They believed in God. They were not lazy, I don't think. They were not an uncommitted people. Remember, they just made that treacherous journey from Babylon to a worn, torn land. So they weren't a, a bunch of wimps. They believed in God. They left their homes, their jobs, or whatever they had behind, evidently. By faith, they responded to the call to return. And what they had in front of them was not an easy task, I'm sure. And then they had that opposition. And when they grappled with what to do next, they began, evidently, to be comfortable in their lifestyle. They lost their focus. And they lost their vision for the Lord's work. And boy, that sounds familiar, in my life at least. So many things pulling, tugging at me and, and calling for my attention and things I could pour my life into. I suppose these Jews would have said that, you know, the temple's a good thing to build. We, it ought to be done. And I will when I can, when I have my loan paid off and um, this and this and this and this and this done. Maybe that's what they said. I don't know. But what I'm saying is it's very easy to let less important things come in front of what really matters. So I challenge us to be really honest with this problem that we have with plastic trophies. The work of God, what he's called you and I to, can become a slice of the pie of life rather than the center of it, right? It's a challenge for all of us, for myself. Don't let the work of God, what he's placed me here to do, to become a slice of the pie. But rather that it continue to be the center of it. And then the things that we get involved with, we get involved because of what God has called us to. Second thing I notice about these Jewish people is they made some excuses for their neglect of the work of the Lord. Notice verse 2. The time has not come that the house should, of the Lord should be built. I don't know why they felt this way. Maybe they would have said, you know, I'm all for building the temple, but the economy's down. I've got a lot of pressure right now. I don't know what their excuse would have been exactly. And I can have excuses myself for my lack of involvement in the work of the Lord. A challenge for me, for all of us. Third thing I noticed about these Jews that Haggai is writing to is the fact that, that they put their own prosperity, their own interest above the work of the Lord. And as they did so, they became blind to the chastening hand of God in their lives. We notice, uh, let's, for example, verse 6. They sowed, and yet they got little back. They, they, they were working hard, but... God wasn't blessing them. And they were somehow they were blind to what God was trying to do, to wake them up, to shake them up, to remind them of what they were there to do. They were putting their wealth in bags that had holes in them. Last part of verse 6. 
And maybe they felt like, well, we're struggling here, and so that's even more of a reason why we can't contribute to the work of the Lord. I don't know. But Haggai comes along and says, hey, it's God who controls the rain and the harvest, and he is withholding his blessings because your priorities are out of whack. Put the Lord's work first, and God will meet your need. It's easy to become blind to what God's trying to, the ways God is trying to get our attention when we pour ourselves so much into our work that we, we can't see, we can't understand what God's trying to tell us. Let us carefully consider our priorities. Fourth thing I notice about these people is that those who put their own prosperity above the Lord's work will never find what they're searching for. Evidently, at least some of these people were successful. Verse 4 mentions sealed houses. What is that? I think it has the idea of paneled houses. In other words, this was a wealthy person's house that lined his house with cedar. So Haggai's point there in verse 4 is, you know, is it right to live in a cedar-lined house while the Lord's work, the Lord's house is being unfinished? So God is trying to get their attention, verses 9 through 11. So even what we selfishly pursue and are sure that will bring us satisfaction, it never does. Not the things of this world. It never does. Even if you line your house with cedar and fill all the shelves with trophies, they have no eternal value. Life changes so quickly. And those daily coins that God faithfully gives us, and we spend them selfishly, it's like putting those coin in a bag with holes doesn't do any good it's worthless history is shrewd with people who have devoted themselves to climbing the ladder of success only to find out at the top of the ladder that the ladder is leaning against the wrong building we need to be sure that the ladder that we're climbing is the Lord's ladder and what he wants us to be busy working on so what's my point this morning the point is that we will never find satisfaction outside of God's purpose for our lives. It's not going to happen. We need to deliberately, on purpose, and continually put God's purpose and priorities above my own comfort and prosperity. Yes, we can be tempted with idols. We don't intend to. We don't mean to. It's just what we pour our lives into and focus on can steal our hearts and our time and our energies, our focus, and becomes an idol. So, does that mean I should stop going to work? Does that mean I should stop providing for my own family? And all those kind of questions that we all grapple with. I don't think so. In fact, I think, I believe that God many, many times wants us right where we're at, at least as far as providing for our families and all those kinds of things. That's his workforce in many cases. I guess my plea is, my challenge is, is to understand what is it God wants me to do. And in that work, whatever it is, to 
do his work. His work be a priority. What is it God wants you and I to do? Who are my heroes? Who are my role models? What are my goals? You know, I hesitate to, to uh, give soul-searching questions in a message simply because it's easy to say and we easily become, can become hardened to these kinds of questions because we repeat it and it's, we hear it a lot maybe or it, it's asked in a light and casual way. But these are serious questions. What are my goals? What, are, what consumes my energy, my thoughts? What really matters? What are my trophies in life? And it can extend to so many, so many things like music and entertainment and hobbies and habits and leisure time. It just, the list goes on. I just challenge us to consider our ways to consider our values and priorities. So what happens when we put God's priorities ahead of our own? Several things that Haggai mentions. Verse 8, God will be pleased and glorified. God is pleased. I think we need to take time to understand what that means. When I glorify Him. Verse 14, God's people are brought together in unity. Didn't take time to read that, but you see that in verse 14. Verse 13, God blesses us with his presence. I am with you. What more could we want? The presence of God is worth way more than a semi-truckload of plastic trophies. When you and I are going to the valley of the shadow of death, like many of you have recently, it's a blessing to be able to have the hand of Almighty, eternal God to cling to. It's much warmer than a plastic trophy. It's a God, He's a God who keeps His promises. And then God blesses the work of our hands when we put His priorities first. Maybe you've heard the illustration, I suppose I could do it with this glass of water. Um, I could fill it with large stones and then we could say is it full and the question is no not quite and then in those large stones we could shake some smaller stones in the middle and now is it full well no not quite so I've put sand in there is it full now no not quite it's not full until I fill it with water that fills every void so this illustration would show us how there's only so much rooms in our, room in our lives for things. So what's the point of that illustration? Is the point that if you try hard enough, you can always find room for something else. Is that the point? I don't think so. The point is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them all in. That's the point. What am I saying? I'm saying, if this is my life, I need to put the big things in first. So I for sure get them all in. And according to the will of God, fill in other things as there's room. But let's make sure the important things are in the container. Too often I have that all backwards. 
I already have a full agenda and I somehow try to mesh God's priorities into my own. And something has to be left out. You know, God, I'm sorry, but there's just no room. It can't be done. So yes, put in the big rocks, important things first. Make God's priorities my priorities. I suppose we're all feeling guilty, maybe even discouraged about now. Because we have tried to fit in things God wants into our schedules. And we still feel like we're failing to get it all done. And I'm going to be honest here. This conversation, my wife and I have often had this conversation. Look at all these things that, that ought to be done, that should be done. Important things, people to invest in. There's our families, our marriage, and, and on and on. How do we get it done? And I confess I struggle with this. There's this much of me. There's this much time and this much energy. And the work is huge. How are you going to get it done? God knows our need for rest. He knows our need for rest and relaxation and renewal. And yes, there is a place for retirement. Not doing, not stopping the work of the Lord, but maybe sometimes changing or the way we're involved in it. I think there's a time for that. Even Jesus, who was very, very serious about his priorities, seen the need to go out on the lake in a boat. Seems like just to get away from what we know of the situation there. But I believe that as Jesus did that, he stayed completely in the will of God. And I think you and I can do the same if we're sensitive to the leading of the Spirit in our lives. Remember the story that Jesus told in Matthew 21 of the two sons that the father wanted to go out and work in the field or in the vineyard, I think it was, and one said, no, I won't go. The other one said, sure, I'll go, sir. But he didn't. The first one repented and went. And I really think that in a lot of ways, you and I are one of those, a lot like one of those sons. Sure, we can say the right thing. We can, in theory, uh, like to be a part of God's work. But who actually is the one who went out and did it? It's the one who repented. And I, you know, I, I, I feel like that I sometimes need some repentance just because of my priorities. I've gotten off track. My focus has, has been skewed in the wrong direction. Just the importance of repenting and going back to what I know God wants me to do. I'd like to close this morning, James 1, verse 5. And you know what that verse says. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Does God keep his promises? He does. Ask him. You will receive. That's the promise. I praise God for that because priorities in life are not easy to figure out and to keep balanced. And I just want to encourage you this morning to think seriously about what are the important things in my little container? Are they what God wants? 
Do I have any cheap plastic trophies, if you understand what I mean, on my shelf that I worship and really need to haul them to the dumpster so there can be room for more important things? That's what Paul did. He counted all things as a loss. That's what he said. Worthless. Paul was instead focusing on a different trophy, a different crown. May God give us wisdom to know the difference between a temporal plastic trophy of this world and the eternal crown that is priceless. Well, God has seen fit to give you another coin, given me another coin today. Let's spend it wisely and to plan ahead for the coin he will give possibly, I should say that, possibly give us tomorrow and be able to spend that gift of time in a way that honors him.